You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now we just finished the Rooted Sermon series, but our Rooted initiative continues on. That series marked a transition in the life of this church from a church being planted to now a church becoming rooted. And in the second sermon of the series, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan preached from Ephesians 3, which included this prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So because that prayer is still on our lips, it's fitting that this Easter Sunday we will be be reflecting together on John 11. Because John 11, as you just heard, is all about the love of Christ. The love of Jesus permeates this story, even in some surprising and shocking ways. But you saw it there in verse 5, right? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved them. 
This story is about the love of Jesus for them and for us. So let's refresh that story once again. You know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings, and we meet them actually in Luke chapter 10. Mary and Martha are the ones when Jesus stays at their house. Mary sits at Jesus' feet while Martha bustles around and serves everyone. Martha becomes frustrated with Mary's absence from the work and protests to Jesus, tell my sister to get up and help. And Jesus says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And now in the present story, Lazarus is ill. The sisters send a word to Jesus about this, and Jesus makes a decisive declaration, very important at the beginning. This illness does not lead to death. This illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then surprisingly, Jesus waits a few days before telling the disciples, we're going to Judea, to Bethany. And the disciples aren't thrilled about this. The last two times Jesus was in that region, crowds tried to stone him for blasphemy because he was claiming that he was equal to God. In John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, and they take up stones to stone him, and he gets away. A few chapters later, he says to the same group, I and the Father are one, and again, they pick up stones to stone him, and again, he evades them. And so now, he's saying, let's go back to this place where they are ready. They won't have to pick up stones this time. They'll probably have them in their hands already. And Jesus says, we've got to go. We've got to go see Lazarus and his family. Lazarus has died. And reluctantly, and I think perhaps with a little bit of gallows humor there at the end from Thomas, let's go. Let's go die with him. Now, when Jesus nears the town, Martha comes to meet him. Mary remains at the house with that large group of mourners, that large group that probably indicates that this is a wealthy family. Lots of friends from Jerusalem coming to greet them, to grieve with them. Martha comes and expresses some hopefulness that God can still hear Jesus' prayers even after Lazarus has been dead for four days. This is significant. There was a rabbinic tradition at this time that when someone died, the spirit of that person hung around the body for three days just in case. And so the fact that it's been four days is significant because it's sort of past the expiration date. It's hopeless now. But Martha comes with just a little bit of a hope. Maybe Jesus can do something. Maybe the statute of limitations doesn't apply here. Jesus says to her that he is the resurrection and the life. He then summons Mary to come and see him. Mary comes immediately, that's significant, falls at his feet weeping, and when Jesus sees her weeping, he's deeply moved and greatly troubled, and he himself weeps. And then they all go to the tomb together. When they arrive, Jesus orders the stone to be removed over Martha's objections. Lazarus has been dead four days. That body has no doubt started to decay. Jesus then prays out loud, 
cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man lives. Now, before we reflect on the love of Jesus in this story, I want you to see how, we read the whole passage because I wanted you to see how the story is working on you and how it was working on them. On the one hand, our expectations as readers, as hearers of the gospel, are immediately set from the beginning by Jesus' words. This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. And so we are ready for something big. We're ready to be amazed. We're ready to see the glory of God. We're ready, in fact, for a sign. In the Gospel of John, a sign is a big deal. A sign is a public, supernatural act done by Jesus in order to demonstrate his divine identity and awaken faith in those who see it. That's what a sign is, and there's lots of them, seven of them, in fact, in the Gospel of John that are named water into wine, healing the official's son, healing at the pool in Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, healing the blind man. This gospel has been filled with signs and Jesus' words raise expectations for the readers. Here we go again. At the same time, the unfolding of the story leads us to identify with the confusion and disappointment of the disciples and Mary and Martha and these crowds. Because their expectations are not being met. Their hopes are not being fulfilled. Instead, their worst fears are coming true. And they're confused. And they're sad. And they're frustrated. Might even be a little angry. And I just want you to notice again the sources of confusion and disappointment in this passage. Here's number one. Verse three. Lord, he whom you love is ill. What's, the, what's implied in that? What's implied in that? Lord, he whom you love is ill. Come heal him. Right? That's what they want. It's not just information. It's come here, heal him. He, you love him, right? Come heal him. We know you love Lazarus. We know you can heal. Come, Jesus. And yet, Jesus delays. He waits two days after getting the news. That's confusing. Number two, the disciples fear returning to Judea where the Jews just threatened to stone him. Going back right now risks the lives of everyone. So why do it? It doesn't make sense. This is not the time. Let it cool down. It doesn't make sense to go back there. It's confusing. Number three. If that wasn't confusing enough, Jesus seems to speak in riddles. There's confusion about sleeping versus death. Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples are like, well, it, he's a, if he's asleep, he can wake up on his own. <laughs> we don't need to go wake him up. We don't have to be the wake-up call. Let it, he'll wake up on his own. If he's sick and he's just resting it, if he needs to sleep it off, great. Let him do that. We don't need to go. And then Jesus 
says, I didn't mean he was sleeping off an illness. He's dead. So, Jesus, what are you talking about? Are you talking about sleep or are you talking about death? That's confusing. Why are you being confusing? It's already confusing enough. Number four, when he's talking to Martha, your brother will rise again. I know he will on the last day. I believe that, Jesus. I know he'll rise on the last day. What does Jesus mean here, rise again? Is he talking about now? He's talking about later? It's confusing. Even more than that, Jesus' emotional responses are very puzzling. To his disciples, listen to this, right? So this is after he's confused them with the sleep thing, and now it says he's going to speak plainly. Good, speak plainly. Tell us exactly what you think, Jesus. Lazarus has died, and I'm glad. Our friend Lazarus is dead, and I am glad that I wasn't there. That's confusing. When he gets there, he's deeply troubled. He's deeply moved. His spirit is churned up and he weeps. Wait a minute, I thought he was glad. If he was glad, why is he weeping? If he's weeping, why did he say he was glad? It's confusing. And then his request at the tomb, take away the stone. He's dead, Jesus. <laughs> He's been dead for four days. It's too late. You came too late. Why remove the stone now? That's confusing. And then to return to the beginning, there's one central thought that just hangs over this whole episode. The entire time, there's one thought that is just hanging over it, expressed in various ways at various times. Here's one, Martha in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Mary. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's identical. It tells us a lot, doesn't it? That repetition. Like, you got to get here with this, right? It tells us a lot. What has, been, what has been the conversation in the house of Mary and Martha for the last six days? What have they been saying to one another over and over and over and over again? If he'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. If Jesus had come, Lazarus would still be here. have been here if he'd have been here if he'd have been here and so that when he comes if you'd have been here he wouldn't be dead and the mourners the mourners actually some of them in quiet probably whispering in the back they actually say it out loud he's weeping couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? That's the thing that hangs over this whole story. And so while you and I, the reader, we're, we're prepared for something big, for signs that display the glory of Jesus, the people in this story are living in confusion, in darkness. It doesn't make sense. 
And I highlight that confusion and I, I want you to hear it because it's where most of us live. Every one of us faces hardships and tragedies and trials and sufferings and affliction. And for Christians who believe that Jesus is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-loving, the worst part of those tragedies is often the confusion. Whether it's illness, like cancer, or stroke, or unexplained sickness that doctors can't pinpoint, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's the death of someone that we love, a parent, or a child, or a sibling, or a friend. Whether it's persecution, opposition, or enmity. Whether it's anxiety, or doubt, or crippling depression. Here's what we know. Number one, Jesus can fix this. Like, he can fix it. Right now, he can fix it. He's mighty, he's powerful, he's omnipotent. We know he could fix it. Number two, in his compassion, he has fixed these sort of things for others. He did heal that blind man. He did heal that official's son. He healed that official's son and he wasn't even there. He just said, he's, he's healed from a distance. He didn't have to be there. Lord, if you'd have been here. No, Lord, you didn't even have to be here to make Lazarus well. Earlier this week, I was reading the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, that a man with leprosy approaches Jesus and implores Jesus, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And the text says, moved with pity, moved with compassion, Jesus said, I will be clean. Boom, he's healed. That's what Mary and Martha want. They want Jesus to be moved with compassion and say, Lazarus, be healed. And that's what we want. So we know he's able to fix it. We know he's done it for others. We know that he loves us. That's the third thing we know. He loves us and has compassions for us, we're told that, and yet, here's the fourth thing, that illness is still here. The death still happened, persecution is intensified, and the darkness has not lifted. We're constantly saying to God, to Jesus, couldn't you have prevented this? If you'd been here, in fact, even though you're not here, you could just fix this. Couldn't you do it? Please, Lord, with a word, fix it. That's where we live. In the dark, in the confusion, in the frustrated hopes, unfulfilled desires, in the riddles and the questions and the doubts. We live in the long days between our message to Jesus, the one whom you love is ill, and his confusing arrival a week later. And that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And yet, John insists, from the beginning, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, where's the love of Jesus in this story? 
Where is it? Can you find it? We've got four things here. Four ways we see the love of Jesus in this story. Number one, the love of Jesus waits. This is the most shocking thing in the entire story. The most shocking word in this entire story is two letters long. It's in verse 6. You see it? It's the word so. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so when he heard about the illness, he stayed two days longer. It's so. So, because he loved them, therefore he stayed two days longer. The love of Jesus kept him from going to heal Lazarus and spared them the longest week of their lives. Like, some Bible translators cannot handle that. They say, Jesus loved them, and yet, when he heard, he stayed two days longer. That's how they translate it. And yet, he loved them, but, and yet, he stayed. Despite the fact that he loved them, he stayed. That's not what the passage says. It says, he loved them, therefore he stayed two days longer. Therefore he let him die. He let Mary and Martha sit in their grief and their tears and their confusion and their questions. Jesus, if, if you would have been here, why weren't you here? Why didn't you come right away? Because he loves you, Martha. Because he loves you, Mary. Because he loves you, Lazarus. That's why he didn't come. The love of Jesus waits. Number two. The love of Jesus weeps. The crowds see this immediately. When Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, they say, see how he loved him. The weeping is a sign of loving. And so we see the amazing, complex, and righteous emotional life of our Lord. On the one hand, he tells disciples, Lazarus has died and I was glad that I wasn't there. He's glad that he waited. And then he gets there and he weeps. More than that, he is deeply moved. Literally, he's indignant. That's what that phrase is, deeply moved, when that shows up. It's indignant. He's angry. He's troubled. Literally, he stirred himself up. He troubled himself. The way waters get stirred up in like rapids. He stirred himself up. He sees the effects of death on those he loves. And he joins them in their grief and anger. So you think about the two sisters as they come, right? They hear Jesus is outside of town. Martha jumps up and runs to him because she's still holding out hope. Lord, I know God hears you even now. Even now, Lord, I know God hears you. She's grieving, but she has a little bit of hope. And so Jesus meets her in her hope. And not only that, he takes her hope deeper. I'm going to come back to that. Mary, on the other hand, stays at home. And perhaps we detect here some anger at Jesus on her part frustration that he didn't come sooner. She can't even face him. Why weren't you here when we needed you? Why didn't you come? But notice that when Jesus summons her, she comes immediately. She comes as she is. She comes weeping and worshiping. She falls on her face before him and she wails in his presence and pours out the thought that has been coursing through her mind if only you'd been here. 
and Jesus meets her in her weeping. He sees her weeping. He's indignant at sin and death and the way that it ravages those he loves. And this is so important for us to get. Those two together. Yes, the love of Jesus waits. It even rejoices in the waiting. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't meet us in our weeping. He rejoices in his waiting. He meets us in our weeping. When we come to him with our confusion and our questions, he doesn't rebuke us. He says, I know. Grief is great. I'm with you. Bring that confusion, Mary. Yes, I waited, and now I'm weeping. Number three, love of Jesus raises the dead. He doesn't just wait, and he doesn't just weep. He acts. He performs that sign that we were waiting on, that reveals his glory so that he might be glorified in it. He waits, and after he weeps, he tells them, roll away that stone. Lazarus is dead. He's dead dead. His spirit has left his body and gone to Sheol dead. And so Jesus prays out loud so that everyone knows exactly what is happening. And then he looks at that tomb and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. The church fathers, interestingly, on this passage, a number of them said it was really important that Jesus say the name Lazarus. Because if he hadn't, every one of those tombs would have been empty. If he just said, come forth, general resurrection's happening right there. That's how powerful he is. So he specifies, not all y'all, Lazarus, come out. He calls forth one man, that man comes forth hobbling out of the tomb, wrapped in his grave clothes, And Jesus, in the face of everyone's astonishment, says, unbind him and let him go. So the love of Jesus waits. The love of Jesus weeps. And the love of Jesus raises the dead. And in doing it this way, this is the last one. The love of Jesus takes us deeper. This is what this whole confusing story has been about. The waiting, the riddles, the confusion, the weeping, the raising... All of them are designed to take us deeper, to awaken a deeper faith in Martha and Mary and Lazarus and in us. We see this in that central conversation with Martha. Listen to what Martha knows, okay? Listen, to, listen carefully to what she knows. She says, I know. Listen to it. Martha runs to Jesus with a vague hope that Jesus can do something. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Like, this is a vague hope. God can do something, can't he? It's a vague, general hope. Something can happen here. And so Jesus takes her deeper. Your brother will rise again. I know, there it is again, I know he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. That's a general belief in a future resurrection. And so Jesus takes her deeper. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So the one who believes in Jesus and dies, like Lazarus, will live again. And those who believe in Jesus and are alive at the resurrection on the last day will never die. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
And this is where Jesus has been taking Martha. Do you believe this? With your brother lying in that tomb, knowing that I could have prevented it, Martha, do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This isn't just a vague hope in God. It's not just a general belief in resurrection. The love of Jesus is calling for a specific, risk-taking, life-transforming faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he himself is the resurrection and the life. And so, Jesus stands before us today. We live in those six days. That's where we are right now. And on this Easter Sunday, because he loves us, he says to us, do you believe this? When the cancer's still there, when the illness is still unexplained, when the child has a seizure on Easter morning, like I got a phone call, a text this morning saying that a friend of ours, child, has a seizure. Right now, they're in the ER. When the headaches won't stop, when the pain is still oppressive, when the opposition won't let up, when the darkness hasn't lifted, when the doubts are still crippling and weighing us down, when the body is still in the grave, when Jesus is not yet here, at that moment he says to us, do you believe this? Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and he loves you. And because he loves you, he may wait. He may take you through unimaginable suffering and loss and pain. And when he does, because he loves you, he will weep with you. He will receive your questions and your confusions and your tears and your cries of where were you? And he'll take them and he'll join you in your indignation at death and sin. And someday, because he loves you, he will raise the dead. He will wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong, heal every hurt, comfort every sorrow. And in the meantime, because he loves you, he is taking you deeper. Revealing his glory to you in the waiting, in the weeping, and in the raising. Whether you are like Martha running to him in her grief, confessing, I believe you're the Christ. Whether you're like Mary delaying but coming when called and falling on her face and worshiping through tears, or whether this morning you are Lazarus dead in the tomb. Without hope and without God in the world, Jesus stands at that tomb and says, do you believe this? Well, there are some here today who do. And they want to publicly declare that they believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And the way that they're going to do it is through baptism. Every baptism replays the story of Lazarus. They're going to get buried here in the waters. And like Lazarus, they're going to come flying out of that tomb to walk in newness of life. Let me pray, and then I'll invite Pastor Jonathan to come up and take us to the fountain. Father, thank you for Lazarus. Thank you for the love that you showed to him and to Mary and Martha and that you showed to us. Help us 
in the waiting, in the weeping. Help us to believe in the raising before it happens. Most importantly, Lord, help us to know and love and treasure you as the resurrection and the life. In Jesus' name, amen.